Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Obviously, at some point in their conversation, Samuel told Saul to wait for seven days and he would come and offer sacrifice and ask for God's blessings on them as they go to battle. The implication is God would have given victory if he would have waited. So Saul waited and he waited one day and he waited two days, three days, four days. He waited five days, six days. He decided he couldn't wait any longer. He says, I'm losing men. People are going A-W-A-L. Some are going to on indefinite leave. Some are hiding and some are leaving the country. I've got to do something. In Saul's mind, every hour that passes, the chances of victory grow slimmer. Look at verse 9. Saul said, that's it. Bring me the burnt offering. Let's get on with it. If we need a priest, I'll be it for Samuel. Let's sing a few songs, pass the offering plate, sing just as I am, dear Lord. Close in prayer and offer the sacrifice. Look at verse 10. And as soon as he finished, y'all looking at verse 10. As soon as he finished presenting the burnt offering, Samuel showed up and said, Saul, what are you doing? Saul Saul goes out to meet him, to greet him. You know, when you've done something wrong, you kind of act spiritual, don't you? I'm not talking to anybody here. I mean, generally, people. They act really spiritual. So Saul probably goes out, and he probably, brother, brother, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of Yeshua. Brother. And Samuel goes, yeah, 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 yeah. What is that blood on your hands? In verse 11, Samuel said, what have you done? Then the question is, why is Samuel so upset? Because according to Jewish law, listen, this is important for you to understand. It is unlawful for a king to offer sacrifice. Jewish law forbids any one man from holding the office of king and priest. You were allowed to be King and prophet, David. You were allowed to be priest and prophet, Ezekiel, Aaron. But no one could hold the office of king and priest at the same time. These two worlds were always separate. There was a king, perhaps you know your Bibles, by the name of Uzziah. Second Chronicles 26, read it in your own time. And he was the king of Judah. Second Chronicles 26, right around verse 16 tells us, he lifted up his heart to his own destruction for he transgressed against the Lord. 
his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of God. Second Chronicles 26, 16. King Uzziah walks into the temple and offers a sacrifice. He thought because he was king, he could do whatever he wanted. And a man of God came in and rebuked him. And the Bible says instantly leprosy covered his face. God, listen, takes his appointing to a certain office seriously. Again, Leviticus 10, it's coronation day. It's anointing day for Aaron to the office of high priest. You know it. And his sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered strange fire on the altar of God, and God did what? Killed them. Now here's the practical ministry lesson for you. If you're a king, don't try to be a priest. If you're a priest, don't try to be a king. Stay, we've talked about it, haven't we? Stay in your and don't get in somebody else's lane. Because when you get in somebody else's lane, there's an accident, collision. I've told you this before. Might I remind you? People come to me all the time. Pastor Rodney, can we do this? Oh, this church down the street is doing this. Oh, this church down the street is doing growing kids God's way. I remember when churches were doing growing kids God's way. Boy, that was a big deal in the church. I took more flack. People left the church because I did not want to do growing kids God's way. Because I think if you teach people Kids, the word of God, you are growing them God's way. Okay, fine. I don't want to, I'm not programmatic like that. I'm not master's touch and um, they all these uh, purpose-driven church. And when that was done, purpose-driven life, purpose-driven man, purpose-driven woman, purpose-driven teen, purpose-driven German shepherd, purpose-driven, I'm like... (laughs) Purpose-driven, purpose-driven, purpose-driven. I'm like, where does it stop? And I can't keep up with all this. So I say stay in my lane. This is what we do here at Calvary Chapel. Listen, it's real simple. Good, I don't even need to say it. You already know it. We teach the word of God. That's as simple as that. We don't get in, uh, listen, we don't, we teach the Bible. We teach verse. This is our lane. What is Calvary Chapel about, they ask? Well, it's really simple. They teach verse by verse. That's it? Yep, that's it. And to me, there ain't nothing else. But okay, fine. No dancing bears. No smoke on the stage. No lights that change with the beat of the girl up here. Boom, boom. The lights go boom. People go, wow, yes. <laughs> this is what's going on in the church today. You guys, listen, we all are blessed. We are blessed because God, I'm waiting while somebody clap your hands. We are so blessed. We are so blessed because, because we are very simple, because we do just teach the Bible, because there is no dancing bears. Because we, we don't get in, we don't have all this stuff going on and all this stuff and it's got to be new and clever and all this stuff all the time. That's too much for me. That is too much for me. And I'm not into churchianity. I'm into Christianity. I'm not into churchianity. Amen. Say amen. amen. Say it again. 
Because I like to hear you say it. I'm not in all this stuff. Everybody's all this stuff and new, this, that, the other. I know. No, 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 no. You know why? Because when all of those things go away, God's word endures. And I am telling you, and I'm telling you, give it a minute and it will go away. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about when I talk about growing kids God's way. Some of y'all never even heard about it. Why? Because it came and it went. The master's touch. It was a big, big Bible study. All everybody's getting together doing the master's touch. It came and it went. There's always going to be something new. I say stick to the word of God. If you just do, you know, I can't, I got it. It's so hard for me to just do what's in here. I don't need nothing else. I can't do nothing else. I can't keep up with this. Y'all ain't hearing me. I can't keep up with this. I don't need nothing else. Stay in your lane. Amen. You do what you do. And you let, look, don't get me wrong. I am not hating on nobody doing what they're doing. You do what you do. That's wonderful. I'm just saying that's not what I do. That's all. I'm not hating on anybody doing what they do. If it works, praise the Lord. I pray you are blessed. <laughs> Ooh, I'm out of breath. <laughs> yes. But I'm very, 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 very passionate about the clear teaching of the Bible. Very, very passionate about that. That's why I'm out of breath. <laughs> I'm out of breath. Because it's important to just teach God's word simply. And don't, you know, do what others are doing and get involved in things that you should not be doing like Saul. Samuel says, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you involved in these things? God is not pleased. And in verses 10 through 15, we just read it. As soon as the offering was consumed, Samuel walks up and says, why do I smell cooked lamb? Samuel says, what in the world's going on? What have you done? And then notice this. Saul gives a series of what I call lame excuses. Lamo, excuses, not reasons. There's a difference. Billy Sunday once said, an excuse is the skin of reason stuffed with a lie. Isn't that true? We're good at making excuses, aren't we? Somebody once said, he that is good at making excuses is seldom good for anything else. I think Ben Franklin said that. Thomas Fuller who was a churchman and a historian, said, bad excuses are worse than none. Samuel wasn't looking for reasons or excuses. He was looking for confession and repentance. Saul could have said, I confessed, I've sinned, I'm wrong, you're right. I, 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 I know what the Bible says, you're right. I know what the law says, you're right. Instead of confessing his sin, he justifies his sin. He makes excuses, got a pen. He gives a series of excuses. Number one, he says, I saw the people were scattered or the guys are all going AWOL. So it's the people's fault. Here's another excuse. You didn't get here in the days appointed or you took too long. So Samuel, it's your fault. Number three, the Philistines are forming together at Michmash, or the Philistine army was getting bigger and bigger. It's the Philistines' fault. 
or here's a spiritual reason. We have to make prayers and supplications before battle. Or I did this because I'm a holy person. Like the child that God is caught with his hand in the cookie jar and he says, let's pray. Spiritual. Verse number five, verse 12, another excuse. This has got to be the best one. I felt compelled. You see that in verse 12? I felt compelled. In other words, I forced myself to offer. I really didn't want to do it. I was fighting against myself, but I forced myself. I felt compelled. Listen, the sole number one reason he offered to sacrifice and sinned is because he was impatient. It's because he was impatient. I was just talking to my son yesterday about patience and waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31. Memory verse. But that those who wait on the Lord shall do what, saints? Renew their strength. They'll do what? Mount up with wings like eagles and do what? Run and not be weary and walk and not faint. So important. And then I love verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, I love this. Look at verse 13. You have done foolishly. Love that. Love it for too many reasons. Samuel said, you've done it foolishly. You did not keep God's word. I love it because nobody told Samuel about political correctness, did he? Samuel calls it for what it is, doesn't he? Foolishness before the Lord. Samuel doesn't give all this Christian lingo and God speak. I can't stand religious God speak, can you? This statement from Samuel isn't filled with a bunch of psychobabble. Samuel doesn't say, well, how did you feel when you offered? <laughs> Do you re- did you remember your daddy when he didn't offer you the ball when you were a little boy? And so that's where the compelling feeling's coming from. You know, you know, everybody's trembling. Well, how did you feel? When you were trembling, how'd you feel? Notice Samuel doesn't do all that. Samuel says, Saul, this is the stupidest thing you've done. That's in the Hebrews translation. You ought to look that up. <laughs> Saul began to make a bunch of excuses, and I believe if Saul had just said, I really believe this. It's not in here. I'm just saying what I really believe. I really believe if Samuel had just said, or Saul would have just said, Samuel, it's hard to keep the S's right. If, if Saul would have just said, Samuel, you're right. I blew it. Samuel, would you pray for me? Samuel, would you offer sacrifice for me? If Saul would have just confessed and said three words, God, forgive me. Everything would have been different. I believe his kingdom would have continued. The Bible says that God takes pleasure in calling us his people. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. God doesn't want to harm us. Did you hear me? God doesn't want to harm us. God doesn't want to do damage to us. If there's damage done, it's because we won't relent and repent. If someone has trouble loving him and being faithful to him, it's because you have not apprehended the measure of grace and the love that God has for you. Look at verse 14. Fascinating. 
The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. So question, who is God talking about? David, of course. And keep in mind when God said this, Saul is going to rule for another 30 years. So this is extremely, this verse 14 is in, in your margins, extremely prophetic. Because Saul's going to rule for another 30 years. People who do chronology and date studies say that David wasn't born for 20 more years. So when the Lord said this, David wasn't even alive yet. Which also tells us that David and Jonathan are years apart in age. And some say, well, David was just a baby when God said this in the crib. Most scholars agree David didn't exist at this time. He wasn't born. Now listen, if you got a little one or you work in the nursery or, you know, you got a little baby or whatever, you might want to check your attitude about how you look at that child because you never know as it relates to the sovereign foreknowledge of God. God, are y'all listening? God can look at a little baby before he can say mama and dada, and God can say he's going to be the commander over my people. That's pretty cool. And that has swag. <laughs> Did I use it right? <laughs> That's cool. God can look at a baby and say, he's going to be the commander over my people. He's a man after my own heart. God's going to give him the kingdom. Saul's going to rebel against this statement for years before he ends up committing suicide. It's just a few chapters back. Remember, you can see, look how far Saul has come. A few chapters back, you can see how Saul began. They wanted to introduce him as king, and he was hiding among the stuff. Were y'all with me, remember? And when Saul was first called, he thought, who am I? I can't be king. And what a difference a few decades make. Now he's saying, look who I am. He was saying, who am I? Now he's saying, look who I am. I'm the king. And he's lifting up his heart before the Lord. And it gets worse. Flip over to chapter 15 really quick. Chapter 15 and look at verse 12. So when Saul rose early in the morning to meet, uh, when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself. A slippery slope. He starts off with, who am I? I want to do so. And ladies and gentlemen, here we have Sam, Saul, your new king. The one you've been asking for. Ta-da! Music plays. Curtains open. No Saul. Where is he at? He's seven feet tall. He's hiding over the stuff. He can't hide behind that thing. We see your head. He starts off with, who am I? And now he's building universities and schools and neighborhood developments after himself. Saul Heights. <laughs> Arrogance is my point. Is my point. Arrogance and pride is a slippery slope. 
C.S. Lewis said the fastest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Somebody else wrote and said there really is no slippery slope, only a long staircase where each step downward must first be tolerated. Look at verse 16. We got to come in. Look at verse 16. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people, verse 16, you're looking at it, say amen. Jonathan his people, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And then the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road of Oprah. She got to be everywhere, don't she? It's Ophrah. I'm just joking. To the land of Shul, another company turned to the road to Beth Horon, another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now there were, interesting, verse 19, there were no blacksmiths to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears, but all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare his mattox, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshare, the mattox, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goats. And so it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they, they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. I want you to take a look at verse 19. There was no blacksmith in Israel. Keep in mind the Israelis were worshipers, not warriors. And they hadn't developed metallurgy. Metallurgy is the ability to work with iron. So their weapons were largely sticks and bronze at best. And God, of course. Now Israel wanted to get their farm, when Israel wanted to get their farm equipment sharpened, they had to go pay the Philistines. With that, the Philistines can control their ability to have armament. The Philistines can maintain their technological edge in warfare, and it keeps the people of God at a disadvantage. The Philistines were well armed, and the people of God were disarmed. You know, let me tell you quickly, I was reading this little article about disarming America. Have you ever heard about that? Disarming America. And the idea, with, the idea of it is that we will come to a place in history where we will all recognize, essentially, that we're all good people, and we'll all line up around the earth and give each other a big group hug, and we'll all get over the warfare that is in the world. And if we start with disarming America first, we'll get rid of the war. And I read that, and I thought, well, that's just swell. <laughs> you haven't heard that word in a while, have you? Swell. That's just swell. Although there's only one problem. It's called the heart. The Bible teaches your heart is desperately wicked. The heart is the issue. You've got the heart to deal with because the Bible says it's evil. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you get rid of all the weapons on the earth, you still have the thugs and they'll get worse. Remember, the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. 
the Bible says there's coming a day when the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth and, the, and cover the waters of the sea. And every man will beat his swords and plowshares. I'm coming in for a landing. And every man will beat his swords and plowshares into rocks and their pruning hooks into spears, into, into rocks. And, and we will study war no more, the Bible says. There's going to be a time on the earth where all nations will come and worship the king in Jerusalem. And there will be a highway of holiness. But none of this is going to happen until the Prince of Peace is reigning. Not by disarming America or not by disarming any group. Not in this earth, not in this time frame. We need a new heaven and we need a new earth. And when Jesus establishes a new heaven and a new earth, then we won't need weapons. Am I right about it? Then we won't need weapons. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.